All right. Now we are ready for our lesson. Praise God. We've been studying about the fear of the Lord. And the last time we were all together, we were talking about the benefits of the fear of the Lord. And those benefits include, who can remember? There were five particular benefits. They include security. They include intimate friendship with the Lord, covenant love, the evil one touches us not, and satisfied living. We went through scriptures that talked about those things. Um, and those are just a few, certainly not all of the benefits of the fear of the Lord. But this week, we're going to kick it up a notch, and we're going to talk about the benefits of the fear of the Lord when it is combined with humility. Hallelujah. So I want us to turn to Proverbs 22, verse 4, and we will read it out of the King James and the Amplified, not Amplified Classic, the Amplified. So that's Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4. We'll read it out of the King James and out of the plain amplified. And so if you have it- um, I can do King James. Okay. Uh, humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Yes, by humility and the fear of the Lord together are riches and honor and life. All right, does anybody have it in the plain amplified? If not, I will read it. Okay, it says, the reward of humility, that is, having a realistic view of one's importance, and the reverent, worshipful fear of the Lord, is riches, honor, and life. So here in this amplified translation, it defines humility. Having a realistic view of one's importance. And that's you know, how the Lord has expressed. We see, each, we see ourselves as God sees us. We're not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to when we say we are who God says we are. And we say we can do what God says we can do. And we say we can have what God says we can have. That is humility, seeing ourselves as God sees us. Um, lots of times when we think of being humble, we think of you know, being lowly. And, and there's a place for that when it's in the right place. You know, being lowly, not thinking more of ourselves than we ought to. Yep, that is humility. So not thinking that we can do things on our own, not thinking that we can do things outside of God or thinking that we can do things without God. That's thinking more highly than we ought to. Not when we say who we are because that's who God says we are. That's when we're right on target. Does that register with everybody? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So just plain and simple, Proverbs 22, 4, King James, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. These are benefits of the fear of the Lord when it is coupled with humility. Um, and we will unpack that scripture as we go. But right now, we're going to focus on humility. 
All right. Okay. So I want to, I have this journal from 2011. It's like my favorite journal. Um, it's a daily planner, 2011. And for each month, they wrote something that just kind of gave you something to meditate through the whole month. So in this journal, in the month of April, they talked about humility. Let me read it to you. It says, humility is not effacing oneself. It is not destroying one's sense of self-worth. Rather, it is honest recognition of our own worth, our worth as God sees us. Pride elevates us above others and often above God himself. But to destroy one's sense of self-worth is also unacceptable, for it denies the value God placed upon us when he created us in his image and when he sent his son to die for us. Christ did not die for worms, but for people he loves very much. And those people have great worth and value in God's eyes. To see ourselves as God sees us, that's our goal. So this first little bit when we talk about humility, that's the angle we're going to come from, okay? Um, let us turn to John chapter 8. We're going to look at all of these are going to come out of the Amplified Classic, and we're going to look at some demonstrations of Jesus speaking in humility. So let's turn to John chapter 8, and all of the scriptures that I name are going to come out of the Amplified Classic. We're going to start with verse 14. And you want it out of the Amplified Classic? Yes, please. Just verse 14. Okay. Jesus answered, even if I do testify on my own behalf, my testimony is true and reliable and valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. So this is Jesus speaking. Okay, they had already, this, this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees had told him, look, if you're speaking on your own behalf, that doesn't work because you are bearing testimony of yourself. And so Jesus says, mm -mm, even if I do testify on my own behalf, my testimony is true. This is Jesus standing up for himself or, or allowing God to stand up for him. But he's saying, my testimony is true and reliable and valid for I know where I came from. In other words, I know I came forth out of my father. And I know where I'm going. I know I'm going back to him with mission accomplished. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. So Jesus didn't back down when the people says, nope, your word is not good enough. Jesus says, of course it is. Of course it is. And he can do that because he knows what his father told him. Amen? Amen. All right, let's look at another example. Verse 16, Amplified Classic. Um, okay, 16. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. My decision is right, for I am not alone in making it. But there are two of us, I and the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony evidence of two persons is reliable and valid 
I am one of those two bearing testimony concerning myself and my father who sent me. He also testifies about me. So again, this is Jesus saying, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. My judgment is right. I'm not alone in making it. He knows who he is. He knows where he came from. He knows out of whom or he, from whence he came. He knows all of this and he's confident in it. And he's walking in humility because he's saying about himself what his father has said about him. Then he breaks it down to the Pharisees in your own law. It's written that, you know, there's evidence of two people saying it, then it's good. Well, guess what? I'm one of those two. My father is the other one, but I'm one of them. So this is Jesus being absolutely confident in who God said he is. This is why when God tells us things, we can know that our judgment is right. We can know that our judgment is sure. When we have heard from God, then it doesn't matter what the naysayers say. It doesn't matter what anybody else's opinion is. This is why we give God's word first place, supreme authority. His word is the word that has authority over us. His word is the His word that to. And when we step out on it, like Jesus was stepping out on it here on this course, we are cooperating with his word. Amen. Amen. Okay, so now we're going to go to verse 28. We're going to start with the last part of that verse where Jesus says, um, I do nothing of myself. We're going to start there, and I want to read through verse 29. And that I do nothing of myself, of my own accord, or on my own authority, but I say exactly what my father has taught me. And continue. Yes, verse 29, please. Oh, okay. And, and he who sent me is ever with me. My father has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Amen. So this is why Jesus could speak the way that he spoke. He says, I do nothing of myself, of my own accord, on my own authority. His father's word has supreme authority over his life. And he says exactly what he hears his father say. And that's what we were kind of talking about that earlier when we were saying, you know, I don't know what to pray. Lord, give me what to pray. And we ask Holy Spirit for utterance, and then he gives it to us, and we say exactly what he says. That's the same way. When we say what God says, we are speaking in his authority. Not, let me, let me clarify, not when we're just quoting the Bible. That's not necessarily saying what God has said. We're talking about a live word from God, a word that God has spoken to us in that situation for that situation. When we say what God has said, then we are speaking in his authority. There is a difference between saying what God has said and parroting what God has said. We see in the wilderness how the enemy parroted the Bible. He parroted the scriptures. When Jesus said it is written, Satan said it is written. Then at the end, Jesus said it is said. 
Jesus went to the rhema. It is said. So when we say what the Father says, then we are speaking his, in his authority. And Jesus knew, he who sent me is ever with me. He's not left me alone. And he's not left us alone either. Amen? So that's the first part. That's the first part of humility that I wanted to talk about. Seeing ourselves as, Jesus, as God sees us. And we just see how Jesus demonstrated that in John chapter 8. But now there's another definition of humility. And I will read the, the, the excuse me, I will read the definition as I got it from um, dictionary.com. It is the state of being humble. <laughs> so, okay, what does that mean? Well, before we do that, let's look at it in the Bible. You know, we're going to look at Jesus again. And you probably know that I'm going there already. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And we could read this in the King James, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Got it. All right. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Even the death of the cross. Amen. He humbled himself. Now that, that word in Greek, that word humbled in Greek, it means to show humility or true lowliness. This happens. How does this true lowliness happen? Not, you know, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. Not, not that. Not that. Not that. What is true holiness? This is still part of the Greek definition. This humility, this true, true lowliness happens by being fully dependent on the Lord, dismissing reliance upon self and therefore self-government, and dismissing, or excuse me, and emptying carnal ego. And that word carnal means sensual, you know, stuff, eyes, ears, all that, what, are, what we do here on earth, seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, tasting. We empty our carnal ego. We dismiss reliance on ourself. When we do that, we exalt the Lord as our all in all, and we prompt the gift of his fullness within us. True lowliness is knowing that we can't do anything apart from God. Did I say holiness? True lowliness is knowing that we can't do anything apart from God. True lowliness is knowing that we can only do things with God. And at the same time, knowing that we can do all things that he empowers us to do. Amen. That's true lowliness. That's true humility. Um, Keep, keep, we're going to come back to this, but I just want to share this scripture real quick. John chapter 1. And it is verse, it's one of my favorites. Can I get the numbers mixed up? Is it 12? Yes. 
John chapter 1, verse 12. And I'll read it out of the King James. Um, well, we know how the scripture starts, right? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Okay, the same was in the beginning with God. So we're talking about Jesus. And we're on our way to verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. But in verse 12, it says, but as many as received him, talking about Jesus, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That word power there is exousia. That's the authority, the right, the license, the go-ahead. Okay, as many as received Jesus, to them gave he the authority, the go-ahead, to become the sons of God. And that word sons, that's, the, that's not just meaning a child of. That is a mature son who knows that he is totally dependent on God. The one who knows that their total dependence is on God. That's a mature son. We have the authority to do that. We have the authority to do that. How? Through humility. This, the same in, in Philippians 2.8, where Jesus humbled himself. And that word humbled, meaning to dismiss reliance upon himself, to, re, to, to dismiss um, reliance on his self-government. He says, I can't do anything on my own. I'm not doing it with my own authority. And to empty his carnal ego. We can do that too. That's how we humble ourselves. And when we do that, it prompts the gift of his fullness in us. Amen. Yeah. All right. So that word humble. According to dictionary.com, get this, it means to destroy the independence, power, or will of. To destroy the independence, and we'll talk about ourselves, to destroy the independence of ourselves, to destroy the power of ourselves, to destroy the will of ourselves, because we are going to talk about humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, right? And I know it sounds like, and this is why people resist making Jesus Lord, because it's like, I don't want, I, you don't want to give that kind of control to anybody. And I, and I, I don't want to be, you know, brainwashed. I don't want to not be able to think for myself. I don't want to, and you hear all this for myself. I don't want to, but God's not going to, he's not going to override our will. And he's not telling us to lay all that down so we can just be mindless and he can control us. But it's so that we can willingly, here comes the word, submit to him, to willingly submit to his plan and his will for our lives, willingly submit to what he has for us. How do we humble ourselves? How do we destroy our our independence, power, and, and self-will, we submit to him. And that word submit, this comes from dictionary.com. It means to give over oneself. 
It means, or to yield oneself to the power or authority of another. To give over oneself or to yield oneself to the power or authority of the other. And I like the definition of this word authority. Again, dictionary.com. An authority is an accepted source of information, advice, etc. For the purpose of our Bible study, I'm going to say an accepted source of truth, an accepted source of life. So when we're submitting to God, we're giving ourselves over and yielding ourselves over to um, God, who is an accepted source of truth and life. Accepted to us, you know, not like accept, just accepted. Let's just leave it at that. In other words, he's got the answers. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one that we believe in. He's the one. He's the one that we trust ourselves with. All right. So to submit is to give over oneself or to yield oneself to the power or authority of another. That word yield, it means to surrender or submit. We know that. But I like this, this definition. Think about um, a crop, okay? It means to give forth or produce by a natural process or in return for cultivation. It brings forth by a natural process. In other words, it comes from the inside out because of the way um, just that it's, it's made or because of the conditions that have been set around it. You just yield stuff and you bring stuff forth naturally. Like an apple tree doesn't stress to yield apples because it is an apple tree that was once an apple seed, but that seed has been watered and nurtured and it has died and now it yields forth um, the tree that yields forth the fruit that yields forth more seed. It just naturally comes forth. When we think about ourselves, when we study the word, we meditate the word day and night, we bring forth our fruit in our season. It comes forth. It's a natural process because of the cultivation that has taken place. So yield doesn't just mean to surrender. It also means to bring forth naturally. Are you all following me on this? Yes. Okay. And so now when I, when I was studying this, the Lord gave me this revelation. When we yield, oh, no, 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 no. Yielding is an inner working that produces outer results. I like the way um, Andrew Womack explains it. He calls it effortless change. Our only effort is to put the word in, to meditate the word, to do what we're supposed to do with the word. But once we put the word in, like once we plant the seed, 
then there's a natural process that occurs. There's an inner working that occurs and that word begins to make a change in our lives. You know, I think about the people who they want to, they want to get their lives right before they get saved. I got to quit smoking. I got to stop sleeping around. I got to do this. I got to do that. And then I'll ask Jesus to come live in my heart. That's the opposite of what it should be. If we come to him and we yield to him, we submit to him as the source of life, as the source of truth, even as the source of change, as the source of whatever we need him to be, then there will be an inner working on the inside of us that yields the fruit, that yields or brings forth the change. All of a sudden, that addiction is broken. Like what uh, Brother Copeland often talks about, how he had his cigarettes up in the, um, the sun visor. And he forgot all about them. It was two weeks later or so, and he pulled the sun visor down and the cigarettes fell out. He had forgotten all about them because the word had done a work in him and yielded that change. He no longer had a desire for those cigarettes. And it's the same way when we allow God's work, God's word to work on the inside of us, we yield. We, we go through that, we experience that inner working and that inner working brings forth an outer change. And so watch this. There is a difference between willing surrender, we're talking about yielding when we submit or yield to another, there is a difference between willing surrender and superficial compliance. Lots of times when people comply or they're being compliant, okay, I'll do what you want. All right, no problem. But um, I guess one way of saying it, their heart isn't in it. You know, they're doing it just to get by or just to keep the peace or just whatever, whatever. But you can tell their heart isn't in it. You can tell it's not really what they want to do. And even though um, by being compliant, they're being obedient, it's not that willing obedience. And even though they're cooperating, it's not, you can tell there's something with it. You can tell there's something with it because they haven't, maybe they haven't submitted to the um, goal or they haven't submitted to the vision, or they haven't submitted to the leadership, or they haven't, they're just there to pass time, or they're just there because they gotta be, or they just, and so other people who are there because they want to be, and they are submitted to the vision, submitted to the goal, submitted to whatever, they're experiencing positive changes in their lives. But the one who is being compliant, they're not getting the full benefit out of it because they, they're not allowing the inner work to be done. They haven't yielded themselves, therefore they're not going to yield the results of it. Um, when I looked up that word um, compliance, it means the act of conforming. It means cooperation or obedience. And so there's a, there's a way that, that superficial compliance is, I'm doing it just because you said so. Nothing inside has changed. Nothing inside of me wants to do it. Nothing inside, nothing. And that's not what God is looking for. 
we've talked about how obedience is a supreme demonstration of our love for God. One of the reasons, or um, maybe the reason, but God does not override our will because he doesn't want us to obey him because we have to. He wants us to obey him because we want to. And that is why as we're interceding for the body of Christ, God has had us to speak that the spirit of humility infuse the body of Christ. And here within the last maybe month or so, he's had me add so that, or to bring about the necessary obedience, to bring about the necessary obedience to see his word performed in our lives. And that necessary obedience is a willing obedience, not a ritual obedience. I do this every Sunday or I got to do this. Da, da, da. It's, it's a willing obedience. It's an expression of love for him. It's not um, uh, an obey because I have to. It's an obey because I want to. And this is the kind of obedience that God is after. When we're talking about everything, alignment of the body of Christ to the will of God, walking in a fresh fear of the Lord, where we're honoring him, we're reverencing him. And now we're talking about that humility, the spirit of humility being infused into the body of Christ such that it brings about that necessary obedience. Because when we obey him, because we have to, there's going to come a day that we just decide we don't want to anymore. But when we're obeying him willingly, even when things happen that we don't want to obey him because we've already made our minds up to obey him, because we've already bound ourselves to him we cleave to him because we're following him because then we're going to obey that's that's our natural bent it's not like we have to make a decision in the moment why because our minds are already made up this is what we do this is what we do because i want to and i find that even when we fall even when we fail to obey, God knows our heart and he knows that we have an obedient heart. So let me share this testimony with you real quick. Um, I had gotten married and it was a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake. And as bad as the marriage was, I figured out that I had missed God on this but I didn't want to miss him again. And I know that he doesn't like divorce. So it's like, Lord, what do I do? I just want to please you. I just want to, I just want to please, please, please. And so the Lord sent me a word through a prophetess and he gave me directions on what to do. And he delivered me from that marriage. But the prophetess spoke to me and she said, God knows that you thought you heard him. God knows that you thought you were being obedient and he honors your obedient heart. He's about to throw you a curveball, and when you catch it, it's going to be like you never stepped off track. 
when we have a heart to obey, God honors our heart even when our actions don't line up. Does that mean there weren't consequences for my actions? Oh no, there were consequences. But God honored my obedient heart. So this is why it is important to submit, to yield, to surrender willingly. And not be like, okay, well, I'm going to do this, but I don't really like it. Or I'm going to do this, but only because I have to. Or I'm going to do it because God sees that. God sees that. And even though you might be doing the right thing, is, what did he tell those people? Um, Jesus, didn't we prophesy in your name? Jesus, we cast out devils in your name. Jesus, depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You might do good things, but if you do it for the wrong reason, God sees that. So he's given it to us to speak that the spirit of humility infused the body of Christ such that it brings about the necessary obedience to, to bring heaven to earth, to see God's will done in the earth. What is that necessary obedience? It's obeying him willingly. It's obeying him out of love and letting that obedience be an expression of love. So when we submit to God, and I think we'll close on this note, when we submit to God, we are yielding to him. We are giving ourselves up to his influence, to his course of life, to his emotion, to his truth, to his life. We're giving ourselves over to that. Saying, God, you know better than I do. And I trust you. And I know that I can't do it on my own. And then the other side of humility is saying, but I know I can do everything that you say I can do. And I know I'm exactly who you say I am. And I'm not going to back down from it. And I'm not going to be ashamed of it. Amen. 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 Anybody have anything they'd like to say? Oh, I love this. <laughs> I love this. I, and I, I'm, I'm seeing something I never saw before tonight. Okay. I, I, I've never seen the fear of the Lord tonight like I saw it tonight, Catherine, as you talk. Okay. I see it now as a grace, uh, an empowerment from God that fuels true heart submission. A true submission from the heart as an act of love that translates into humility 
that causes me to live a life uncumbered in my oneness with Jesus. He can be in me who he wants to be. I can be in him who he's created me to be. All flowing from starting with that fear of the Lord, empowering me to genuinely submit. So awesome. Amen. Amen. And Lord, we thank you. Thank you so much for revealing more of your grace to us, that the fear of the Lord is an empowerment, glory to God, that empowers us to genuinely submit. And Lord, that it, it opens up so much more for us, Lord, that we enjoy submitting. <laughs> that we enjoy submitting. We enjoy, and that obedience is no longer something that we have to do, it's something that we long to do. We thank you for your word that has come forth tonight. And I speak, Lord, that it is, I know that it is, no, I speak that it is sown into fertile soil and I speak that it takes root and that it brings forth 30, 60, and 100 fold in Jesus' name. I thank you for the doors that are opening before us, Lord. I thank you for, yes, the doors that are opening before us. Doors that show us greater opportunity, that show us more things that are available to us because we're walking in a deeper level of submission. Doors of, of what, um, yes, Lord, of what you have for us and, and, and what you want to accomplish here in the earth. And Lord, we just shift right now into interceding for the body of Christ.